I'm Stephen Crafty from Talking Design, and I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne with um, Robin Healy, Associate Professor and Program Director for RMIT's School of Fashion. And Robin's had a very interesting career, uh, has been a very significant person in uh, galleries and museums around Australia, and I think she's a fascinating person. She seems to be uh, ahead of the pack in terms of what she collects. Just to give you an idea of how um, the foresight she has, she was probably the person to, um, to acquire Lee Bowery's work for the National Gallery of Victoria. And uh, for those who don't know Lee Bowery, he was an Australian and very outrageous guy and went to London. So welcome, Robin. Thank you, Stephen. So tell me a little bit, uh, where, did you, where did you start your career for people who don't know you? I started in Canberra. I started at the National Gallery of Australia. I was the inaugural curator there of fashion and theatre arts. I have a fine arts degree, so I actually went to university um, at ANU um, and had an opportunity to, to work at the gallery in uh, Australian drawings. Um, which was not really the area I was interested in. And this is, I suppose, this is a lesson for people about being brave. Um, my, my great interest um, and love has always been in fashion. So I made a comment during the interview that for me the most marvellous thing would be to work in a fashion collection. And um, I didn't realise that the gallery had just purchased the Julian Robertson collection of fashion. So then and there they offered me um, a three-month position in terms of um, cataloguing that collection, and that's where I started. Tell me, you were instrumental in purchasing a number of uh, photos by fashion photographer, or fashion slash art photographer, Robin Beach, at the time, and as a result, the, um, we're much richer for it. How did, you, how did you discover her work? Did she just come and approach you? What happened with Robin Beach? Well, I suppose I was very lucky because working in Canberra, um, here we had a national gallery, it was um, a new gallery, um, it was looking forward in terms of what are the types, what are the types of, of art, um, um, creative endeavours that we should represent in a national institution. Um, and we were looking forward to find, to find um, practitioners that expressed um, new ways of looking um, in whatever discipline they were working in. And I think uh, being a, a national gallery, um, it was also about not duplicating what other, what other collections had. So in terms of contemporary art, was always a really big push. So when I got to meet Robin Beach and saw her portfolio, she did come to see me because she has a sister in Australia and, and that was sort of the connection. She, she is an Australian, but had been working in London for a very long time and of course was working with incredible people like Vivian Westwood, uh, Lee Bowery, Xandra Rhodes, uh, Rhodes um, you know, documenting their collections, but also doing the most incredible style of photography. She was quite famous for her portraits. Uh, Roy Strong, um, who's the director of the Victorian Albert Museum, she did a very famous portrait of him, but really working with makeup artists, with a whole range of, of um, I suppose, different types of um, creative creative people to feed into her photography so once I saw her work I knew this was something that we really had to have in Australia when you see work like Robbins or people like Lee Barry is it difficult getting them across the line in terms of convincing board members that this is actually a significant piece of work I mean some of the work is palatable but 
pieces from people like, say, Lee Bowery, who was, you know, he'd, he'd walked down London dressed as a penis. How easy is it for, to actually ex get board members to say this is actually collectible, we need it? Well, it's not. But usually what happens is it's the quality of what gets it across the line. And it's really looking beyond the obvious. So in, in, in any, in any um, acquisition, you put forward, you know, why this is significant, why this is significant in Australia, um, how it sits within fashion, all those sorts of things. And to look at someone like Lee Bowery, who's had such an influence on so many international designers and someone who was born in Sunshine, Victoria, you know, actually went to RMIT, left in second year to become famous in London. I, I think mean, he was he told he just didn't want to design clothes that other people would wear. Exactly. So he just... I, I actually talk about him as our most famous alumni. <laughs> the one that got away and then, then went on to do great things. So I think, you know, and just... I think if you paint the picture and you look forward, most people will come on side. I mean, really extraordinary work of Lee Bowery. I had no troubles getting it through the um, NGV trustees. Once they, how did how did you discover it? Who did, it, did who approached you? Did you seek them out? How well, well, I've had, I've had some contact um, initially with Robin Beach. We had actually purchased photographs of of Bowery. Um, and then um, there was an opportunity that came across when. Um, Lee Bowery's work was exhibited at RMIT Gallery. Um, Robert what year Buckingham. Was that? Oh, 80s. It was the eight. No, it would have been. No, no it would have been the 90s. Um, it would have been um, because the festival started at the end of the 90s. It would have been maybe um, 99 or 2000. It was around that period. Um, and Robert Buckingham, who was the uh, creative director of the festival at the time, um, had been um, negotiating with Lee Bowery's uh, widow. So they bought out this material, and uh, when I saw it, I decided that we shouldn't let it leave. So I then began negotiations to see if we could get several garments for the gallery's collection. So again, it's taking advantage of opportunities. And I think this is where sometimes you have to be incredibly brave. And when you're looking forward, often there are things that perhaps people won't understand at the time and you really just have to push them forward in fact the ngv ended up being the first gallery in the world to collect bowery and after that there was a whole spate the metropolitan followed and certain other museums also suddenly started to look at bowery's work in quite a different way who are the other designers both local and international that you acquired for the ngv well um we got Alexander McQueen in the 90s, so we have some of the um, infamous uh, bumpsters made of, um, I suppose, wire mesh, um, and also um, the head completely covered in wire mesh. Um, that was sort of an all-over suit. I actually saw images in a face magazine, and I just rang up. I just took the number of Alexander McQueen, and I rang up, um, and they were chuffed. Uh, this is in the 90s that um, an Australian gallery would be interested in the work and they apologised because they said we can only offer you the work that was used on the catwalk which of course we were totally ecstatic by getting the catwalk examples so we ended up getting an embossed corset a whole range of, of material which now is incredibly rare especially since it's and given the design. notoriety of, of, of the big uh, metropolitan show and that you know Alexander McQueen is no longer with us they actually have now become really quite um, special examples. We also looked at Hussein Shalain in terms of looking at a designer who uh, was really pushing, pushing what fashion might be 
and really challenging the very nature of clothing forms. So usually when you look at a designer, you really look at what that contribution is um, and where fashion might be going because of that contribution. So with Hussein Shaline, we actually looked at these incredible resin dresses. Um, I actually went to the trustees and got permission before the garments were made. Um, and in fact, they were going to be the garments that came out for the finale. And in the actual finale, they were made of sugar and they were smashed to pieces. And the next morning, I got a phone call from one of the trustees saying, I hope they weren't our dresses. And I said, no, 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 we paid for the moulds. Now they will be casting us in resin. But it was quite amusing. And when I saw that, I thought, oh, my God, what's happened? Um, but at that stage, Hussein Shalain, and he still does this, will approach various museums to help with the finale pieces, those pieces which are the most extreme examples of the collection will then go up to a museum. Now fortunately I was working with Judith Clark who is a very well-known curator and writer um, who also is an Australian uh, who lives in London and she very kindly had um, set up um, um, meetings with Hussein Shalain so we could in fact get straight to the designer and then look at a way that we could contribute to that practice because again as a major institution the idea that we supported that finale was also an important thing and then we ended up with this incredible collection of work. Uh, now Robin you're on a, the very different side of the fence now you're you know at RMIT in the mm -hmm. School of Fashion mm -hmm. or in fashion um, and it's quite a different role in a mm -hmm. sense but mm -hmm. you are looking for original ideas obviously and mm -hmm. how people are translating those mm -hmm. ideas mm -hmm. how do you kind of how do you get the most out of students i mean what do you what do you try and encourage them to do because it's very difficult to look at ideas in a vacuum we encourage students to be brave and that's a very hard thing to do um we really want um and i think one thing about the role i have now i feel that i'm in a, a very privileged position because in terms of really looking at the future of fashion and this is where the impact is really quite extraordinary in terms of you know how how do how do you train a designer how do you you know study study fashion design um, you know what, what what are the ways that you nurture or, or um, activate creativity what, what are the right environments for that and there is no right answer for any of that um, but certainly what we do is we try and create an environment that we do encourage exploration. We also question. So it's a university, so we just don't accept current practice. So we actually look beyond that. And we also think about the capacity of what, what we can do in terms of the fashion industry. So this is where uh, it's a very challenging environment. We have uh, a degree that's four years long. Um, it's also one of the hardest degrees to get into. Um, so we have hundreds of people. We Bye. have, you know, um, oh, we've just had what 1,300 students wanting to get in. We've but got to have 59 places? local places. Um, we always encourage people to try again and again because then at least, you know, and often they'll get in the third time. But it really is that conviction of really wanting, wanting to work in fashion design that's important as well because it is it's 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 hard work it's a vicious calendar um there's no breaks in fashion as soon as one creative pursuit is done you're on to the next but with that in mind we also are challenging the fashion system you know the cycle 
um, of seasons, um, the ideas of fast fashion. You know, at the moment there are lots of debates about different types of practices. You know, we have a lot of students that now are exploring ways of working with slow fashion, ways of working with participatory design, where in fact people, the actual uh, customer, becomes part of the design process. When you go, when you just mentioned slow fashion, that's something that interests me. That I feel, mm. and maybe I'm wrong, that the media has created this continual wheel where people just have to ditch last season to spend more for the next season so people do see it as, as quite you know problematic mm. um, how do you see fashion going generally I mean you, I don't want you to well, well I think I think there's huge capacity for I mean personally I don't like the term slow fashion I mean within within fashion historically it's always been embedded with respect for the goods that are the designed and made and also to increasing the longevity so in recent times we have seen that shift but what we've found um, with a lot of with a lot of consumers and with a lot of designers that they actually do want to revert back to more historic ways of practicing where in fact um, you create a garment that's invested with high levels of quality and longevity so that in fact it will last the problem with a lot of fast fashion is it won't last even if you wanted mm. to. So after 20 washes, it will die. So that's where it's embedded with its own time span. So in fact, there's little the consumer can do to actually extend that. So once you put back certain design qualities into a garment that will increase its longevity, you then will allow people then to keep that garment going for a lot, lot longer. One trend that is worrying at the moment, and I think it's particularly uh, evident in Australia, is the importing of a lot of the chains from Europe, mm -hmm. like H&M, Topshop, mm -hmm. I just noticed, is coming into Melbourne, mm -hmm. Zara, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of these, you know, large, mm -hmm. um, you know, international quick fashion places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you see that affecting uh, Australian fashion in the long term? Well, they've always been present in the market. People have always just bought them online or bought them when they travel. So now it's just, a, so, so to me, that's always been there. So the shift is not that great in terms of the level of the market at the moment. People that have always gravitated towards that, you know, ha have just think, great, it's convenient now. It's probably affected um, some stores more than others, um, but then it will turn around again. So I think it also just sharpens up the marketplace. I think um, there's a lot of uh, reflection going on in the fashion industry at the moment. Why is that? Um, is it about, so difficult? Or? Uh, yeah, about, you know, the, 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 the figures for uh, clothing consumption are down. We've known that. That's been happening for the last few years. Um, you know, uh, people are choosing to spend their money differently. Um, so that's when you start to look at long-term investment of clothing and this idea of longevity. How can you make something last? So this is where you start rethinking the types of garments that are actually being placed on the market. Now, in Melbourne, we're sport with certain types of fashion. So we do actually have some very healthy independent practices who actually have always operated in that way. But in terms of starting to see a shift occurring um, into um, you know, larger, larger groups within the fashion industry, we're yet to see that happening. Um, a lot of companies internationally, you know, will have their sort of their classic range, where in fact you see uh, them investing something um, in terms of longevity, but not only for style, but in the way it's made. It can actually cost more, but it actually will last for longer. So I think you'll start to see that. Certainly from a design point of view, um, our students are very interested in longevity. They're interested in recycling. 
they're interested in um, um, the amount of energy that goes into the production of a garment. So we're starting to see quite a shift in the sorts of design qualities that, that, that are important. So it's not just aesthetic considerations. Aesthetics will always come into fashion, that, will, that they'll always grounds fashion. But within the aesthetics, there are all these other considerations that designers are looking at. One thing that's interesting, just my experience in fashion, which is limited, um, that New Zealand, for instance, has a very healthy fashion scene Mm -hmm. because it very very much looks inward, Mm -hmm. very much about Mm -hmm. its own culture. Mm -hmm. Do you see that in Australia to the same extent or do you think it's becoming uh, stronger? Look, New Zealand has the advantage of um, geography because it's tiny. So they're all very close. Australia has always had the problem that we're so spread out. And even though you can say with internet or whatever, there are, there, are, there are these geographical gaps that I think somehow don't give us that tightness that New Zealand has. I think the Australian industry though, you know, comes together strongly in certain ways. But New Zealand is quite small. It's like a little Antwerp or something. So if you look at it in terms of, of, of a regional thing, it is quite small. And because of that, there have been advantages in the way that the government has been able to support that niche. Um, and they've done that very well. Australia's des- designers are spread out more. And that, I think, and is... And that makes the, the response it's, quite it's, different. It's a, li- it's a little bit different. So I think you do have to look at in terms of when you see New Zealand and how that how that operates. The other thing uh, we're go- going back again, Robin, is the importance of uh, fashion exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Because when I travel it's often the thing that I gravitate mm-hmm. towards, mm-hmm. and it, whether it's here or, mm-hmm. uh, or overseas. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the importance when these exhibitions, those man style mm-hmm. we had earlier in the mm-hmm. year, which was mm-hmm. extraordinary, mm-hmm. what is the importance of fashion exhibitions generally for the layperson? What do you think is the importance? Well, I think it's the, the intimacy. I mean, it's actually having the experience of seeing those sorts of garments firsthand. It's interesting because in fashion, you know, we are saturated with all these really rich images. And often we lose track of the actual clothing object itself. And it can be quite a surprise when you actually see what it looks like. And you go, whoa. Um, it can be disappointing um, or it can be totally exhilarating. Uh, I think exhibitions are incredible because they can bring together um, you know, such a diverse experience. So they can traverse time, they can traverse geography, all these sorts of things bringing that all together. I suppose it's also the nostalgia. People walk in and even though if they didn't have something you know, the same item that's before them it takes them back to a period where they did wear something that was similar. It can or it can just challenge. Mm. I mean most people don't have wardrobes that, that are like the museum's collection so I mean I wish I did. Um, so I think that's also so it really it, it sort of opens it up and I think they can be um, really quite extraordinary experiences. And certainly when you get the luxury of seeing a large archive of someone, you then can really start to understand um, the workings behind a, a designer's development, um, the shifts that occur, um, the responses to what's happening you know, in the broader community. And that can be reflected in the garments. So I, I think there's all those other, other layers. And also at different times, certain exhibitions are more relevant. And I think, you know, like man style, you know, why now are we having this, 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 this focus on menswear? On, on menswear? So then you start to, to look broader and you think of, you know, the shifts that are occurring in, in, in the community and a different understanding opening up. No longer is it just a few, like collections always were notorious for not having menswear. 
you know, if you look at museum collections, there would always, always just be a few things. Now, now it's really, you know, in contemporary fashion, it's 50 50. Sometimes men are more, more interested. Yeah, and sometimes more menswear in terms of what designers are doing. And you look at the designers who are operating in menswear, it's no longer just a handful. You know, you have got, you know, most major major um, international designers working across the field. We're starting to see a bit more of that in Australia, that it's not just whether you're a women's wear designer, that maybe you do women's wear and men's wear, you know, and, yeah, how, and how, how that operates together. Now, the other thing I was going to ask you, you, you're pretty spot on in terms of finding the next big thing, you know, in terms of collections. Is there anyone, uh, oh, this will test you, <laughs> that, uh, Robin, that you said, no, uh, I don't think that's us or you couldn't see the value in it and then later on you realise, oh, I actually missed up a great opportunity or you'd rather not talk about that. No, it's only to do with money. I can be honest here. The only time you miss out on opportunities is when there's no money. So when, when a, a gallery is purchasing, it uh, really relies... Who are some of the people is, that you've missed? What are the things you've missed out on? Um, oh, I don't know. Um, that's hard. I'd have to have a really <laughs> think back to see um, who they might be. Um... I suppose it would be, uh, I suppose, just continuing. Like, often, I suppose, we would have continued with more of Alexander McQueen. Um, but often, but again, with, with, with policies, you know, you're trying to pull in, you know, different people. Um, you know, we got in Owen Gaster, who was, who was, was great, but we never hear of Owen Gaster anymore. So you've got, you've got people that are hit or miss as well. So part of contemporary collecting, you know, at, at the time... You know, this appears to be, and then some of those designers will not survive for whatever reason. So I think that's also interesting when you see the ones that have grown and the ones that just disappear. It's very interesting. I went backstage at the National Gallery of Victoria mm -hmm. a couple of years ago and mm -hmm. saw the Australian collection of mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. fashion, and it was really wonderful. I mean, mm -hmm. there was uh, Sarah Thorne, mm -hmm. uh, Martin Grant, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Empire, a mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. wonderful array mm -hmm. of clothes. Mm -hmm. How do you put a collect? How does those how do those collections get put together? Is it that something fits into a collection, or is it you stand back and I mean, how do you actually put a collection together? Well, with with the Australian collection, because when I when I started in National Gallery Victoria, there was this real hierarchy between Australian and international. So one of the things that I started doing was just pulling in Australian Australian designers at the same time that we weren't saying. Um, or we need international because that affects all of what happens in Australia, which was really the old perception. Um, you know, the National Gallery Tour used to have advisors um, in Europe who would basically tell the gallery who they should purchase. Um, so, so those all those sorts of things had gone away. But looking at um, what the National Gallery of Victoria had, the first starting point was to actually consider um, the incredible design. Um, enclave that Melbourne has produced. So one of the first things that we started looking at was to represent Melbourne designers. It's a very obvious thing, but at the same time, you know, Melbourne has this incredible fashion culture. Um, the 80s was an obvious period because um, looking at um, formation of groups like the Fashion Design Council of Australia, the FDC, who actually um, gave a voice to independent fashion design in this country and started to look at ways that designers could operate outside um, sanctioned uh, fashion industry mechanisms. They didn't have to have 
um, a certain scale. Uh, they could just work in a back room. Most of them didn't have design education. Uh, most of them just said, I um, just want to design fashion. And that was fine and did the most extraordinary things. So that was a starting point to start looking at uh, the 80s. And then also you start to look at what else was happening, you know, coming up at the gallery is going to be an exhibition on Linda Jackson. Now, Linda Jackson, you know... Um, she was with went, Jenny went, she went. She went to Emily McPherson, which, of course, was RMIT. part of RMIT. So, in terms of where... And I think most people associate Linda Jackson with Sydney because she worked with Jenny Key. She was actually from Flamingo, Morris. Flamingo Park. Um, and then, of course, she went on for her own label, Bush Couture. Now, this show will be opening next year, which will be extraordinary to just see this incredible um, spirit that you find in Linda Jackson's work. And someone who I think um, really made incredible inroads in people getting a sense of the capacity of Australian fashion design. Someone who used incredible colours, pattern, really eccentric and garment really shapes. really explored the Australian bush. Re really explored, yeah. though, quite a fresh sensibility in terms of what fashion might be. Um, so I think... You know, someone like that also we started to look at. So you start to see, you know, the inroads of how do we represent Australian design, um, what's actually happening here. And I think that's quite important to see. So the 80s was a great time. The 70s, there were some really interesting things happening. Um, and the sort of the shifts in practice where you had, you know, people from Peter Tully to all sorts of people, jewellery, you know, jewellery, Clothing, you know, what do you call it? All those sort of uh, designers that you can't really put them in a neat, tidy box. So they fu they, they fuse, fuse across. Um, I was going to ask you, what do you think? What do you think, Robin, are the most challenging things for designers working in two thousand and eleven, going into two thousand and twelve? What do you? What would your words, pearls of wisdom, be to an up and coming designer who's thinking of starting out? Again, it, it, it's, it's, it is to be brave. Um, you know, it's, it's fashion, fashion suffers from its, its own cliches often in terms of the nature of the actual enterprise. Um, and a lot, a lot of the, the major contributors in fashion in Australia have come from really quite small enterprises. And I think that's... And, you know, often when you talk to international designers... They really are quite surprised that that can happen. I mean, if you look at a, a if you look at a European system, you know, you've got to pick up pins. You know, <laughs> go work in someone's, you know, fashion house. You've got to pick up pins. You've got to be tortured for quite a long time. Hope that someone might discover you because you know you've been doing all the coats for Jean Paul Gaultier. Everyone knows that, and suddenly someone taps you on the shoulder and goes, "It's your turn." Now here. And again, it's something to do with Australians, which I love. You just say stuff it. I can do that. I can actually do that. And I think now, you know, we're very attuned to that. You know, universities, we certainly um, support our students in their understanding of how you set up a business. You know, what you, the government's incredibly generous in terms of looking at ways to, to, to assist independent enterprise. You know, there are grants you can get for helping you export there's all sorts of things and I think this is where often you know we, we look at sort of the, the big part of industry which we need as well don't get me wrong but often there's an amazing contribution that can happen at that level um, what we could do is look at designers like Pam you know and Pam um, who do the most incredible um, you know um, 
garments who were perhaps the first designers to be stocked in Colette in Paris. You know, they, they have their own studio someday, which you go in there, the most incredible, their own work, but they also sell blessings, are so well known internationally. But here, you'd ask people about Pam, and they might go, Pam, who oh, Pam? You know, and you go overseas, Pam! You know, so it's sort of interesting. And again, it, it's that sort of achievement which I find really fascinating. But it is, it is something we, we do actually very well. Look, uh, Robin, thanks so much for coming in today. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and um, I enjoy further chats along the way. So thanks very much. You've been with Stephen Crafty at Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks again, Robin. Thank you.